Re is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission, B.C., focused on being church with mission in mind. We are your hosts, Greg Elford and Jess Steffick, and this is the Re Podcast, the prefix that hopes for more than we had before. We acknowledge that we gather, live, play, and worship on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation. I would say simplicity is foundational to the monastic way of life. I think primarily it's that simplicity of of vision, of being centered on Christ. Today for the Advent edition of the Re-Podcast, our guest and friend, Father Leo Barker, describes his experience living as a Benedictine monk in the monastic tradition at the Westminster Abbey right here in Mission, B.C. Our conversation spans Santa Claus, talent shows where monks are the only ones on the invitation list, and more to the point, a dialogue on the foundation of how living simply changes a life. Welcome, Father Leo. Uh, We're so glad that uh, you would take time to be here with us virtually. We wish we could be there with you right in the Abbey here in Mission, but uh, we are thrilled that we could make it work this way. Uh, We wanted to start off by hearing a little bit about you, hearing about um, your story and how you ended up in Mission and at uh, the Monastery of all places. So yeah, we'd love, love to start there. Thank you, Greg and Jess. It's wonderful to at least see your face again. It's been a while since we connected. I'm originally from the United States. I I was born in Oregon and grew up on the Oregon coast. And then when I was 10, my family moved to Washington State. And it was there that I uh, heard about the school that my monastic community runs, um, a high school seminary. And from the time I was seven or eight years old, I felt called by God to um, be dedicated to him in the Catholic priesthood. And of course that desire was stronger at some points and weaker at others, but it remained steady. When I heard about the the seminary, I knew that that was the place that I wanted to be for my high school years. And so I came up for a live-in, a weekend to see the life of the school and the first time I'd ever been to Canada. And yeah, it, it was a good experience. And I filled out the application as much as I could and gave it to my parents and said, you need to finish this. And they said, whoa, wait a minute. I've, we've never even been there. And how, how old were you at this point? I was uh, 14 at that point. Uh, but they did come up with me for another visit and uh, agreed that if this is where I felt God was calling me to, that I could come. And so I came up originally for, for high school, grades 9 through 12. And at that point, didn't plan on being a monk 
uh, I thought I would be a, a diocesan priest who would serve in the local parishes. But I just fell in love that first year of school with the monastic community, with the monks and the way of life, praying with them, being taught by the monks, playing sports. Uh, it just was a lifestyle that really satisfied my own heart. If I could interrupt there for a second, I, I was tracking with you of praying with the other monks and learning from them, but um, you were saying playing sports, like that is not in my picture of like what the monks at the Abbey do. I have noticed there's a basketball court and a hockey uh, thing. So like, are there major tournaments happening? Like, what do you guys do for fun? Well, not major tournaments per se, although it can get rough at times. <laughs> so the, the younger monks, uh, we try and uh, play on Sunday afternoons sports, whether that be hockey or uh, ultimate frisbee or basketball. We also like to do hiking. Um, I go for a jog with another monk about three times a week just to keep my sanity. <laughs> Um, we, we have a summer property, uh, in the interior where we, we go and spend uh, two weeks in the summer and do swimming and hiking and just doing some extra reading, um, just kind of resetting the time. Um, well, I'm curious, uh, it sounds like there's times of, of the day and times of the year where there's. Uh, some flexibility and a little bit of difference, but I'm I'm curious about the typical day. How does that unfold um, for you? In the monastery, our day is punctuated by prayer. So we gather for common prayer five times a day. And the first time of the day is for our morning prayer at 5.05 in the morning, except for Sundays, we get to sleep in to 5.15. And our last time of prayer is at 7.15 in the evening. So that prayer, common prayer, sets the, the framework of the day. And it helps us to dedicate or consecrate the whole day to God. Like St. Paul talks about praying without ceasing. And that's not literally possible for us mere mortals. But we're able to at least have the intention of living in God's presence and at set points in the day, reuniting our minds and our hearts uh, to God and offering prayer for the world. Uh, but within the day itself, uh, we gather for uh, each of our meals we, we eat in common. And uh, the work period that we have um, would depend on exactly what our responsibilities are whether it be working in the kitchen or on the farm. We have a high school and a college. So that's where I'd spend a lot of my time teaching and helping with the, the formation, the development of, of the students. But I also take my turn in the kitchen uh, and also on the farm in our infirmary where we have some elderly monks there as well. But we do gather twice a day for recreation uh, a time to be together, to talk, uh, listen to the radio, read the paper. Uh, when it's not COVID, play cards. It's a, a time to 
just be together and kind of a family type setting and and a different kind of refreshment. Awesome. I would love to hear from you, Father Leo. How would you describe the monastic way of life and why the Benedictine rule specifically? The monastic way of life really is a particular way of living the gospel. And the monastic life started in a real way in the uh, 300s after the peace of Constantine. So Christianity became an accepted religion and was no longer persecuted. But there were Christians that felt that life was too easy. You couldn't be martyred for the faith anymore. And so they desired to live a more consecrated or dedicated life to God. And they went out into the desert to live this life of prayer and of separation. But it's hard to live on your own, even when you're solely dedicated to God. And it was very quick that there became communities of, of monks uh, that could live together. And monk com- comes from the Greek word monos, which means alone. And it wasn't just a physical aloneness that monks got that title, but also the singleness of of kind of direction or of heart, that you'd be solely dedicated to God and focused on the Lord and his work. And I follow in my community the Benedictine rule, which was founded by St. Benedict in the 6th century. And he wrote his rule just as a practical living out of the gospel as he saw it. How do we do what Jesus did in our particular situation and how do we live in community in that process? So what is really involved in that Benedictine rule? Are there like pillars it's built on? Um, Yeah. Why is it a rule even? (laughs) Good question. Um, St. Benedict says that a Cenobite, so a monk who lives in community, lives under a rule and an abbot, a superior, in community. And we follow a rule because if you're going to live in a community or in a society, you have to have commonly agreed ways of being together. Otherwise, there are lots of conflicts that could easily be avoided. Um, So we have the the rule of, of our Father Benedict and one of the mottos of the Benedictines is prayer and work, or as some would say, prayer, work, and reading. And those are seen as the big pillars of our life, that, that we rotate the day through those periods of prayer, both personal and in common. We have the work through which we can dedicate our time, but also be mindful of God's presence. And also St. Benedict called upon the monks to do holy reading and a significant portion of time spent on scripture and and the spiritual writings. So I know many um, orders have certain vows that you would take. Um, Were were there vows for you? There, There are. The regular vows that a religious brother or sister would, would take would be 
that of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Poverty that uh, a religious doesn't own anything uh, himself or herself. Chastity that he or she wouldn't enter into marriage, but, but would consecrate body and soul to God. And obedience that uh, religious would follow the will of another for love of Christ. So not just for the sake of having someone else make decisions, but for Christ and truly believing that, that Christ is working through the superior. But Benedictines take slightly different vows. We do take a vow of obedience, but we take a vow of stability. So we consecrate, commit ourselves um, to living in one place and one community for the rest of our lives unless we're sent out under obedience for studies or uh, to do the shopping or what it, what you may need to do. And then the third vow in the Latin is called conversatio morum. And the way we translate that uh, in our monastery is a fidelity to the monastic way of life. So we make a solemn commitment to God to daily seek conversion, to strip away the things that keep us from God and to turn towards him more deeply, which of course includes a personal poverty and chastity. So I personally don't own anything and I will never marry. Are there any assumptions that people may, may think when they hear that you're a monk that you want to dispel or even affirm? There are many people who think that monks don't do anything other than sit on the mountaintop and pray in <laughs> contemplation. And while we do long to have periods of, of prayer and we set aside times of prayer in our day, we also do a lot of work as well. And so in our community, we have the farm, we regularly would be running a guest house so people can come and, and stay for uh, some days individually or as a, a group. We have a high school and a college uh, seminary to prepare young men for the Catholic priesthood. And all of that takes time and attention. So they are long days, but joyful days. I want to add some what of a personal note. When I was, I think, 18, I, I spent a couple of days at an abbey in Calgary and they took me in and they just like let me hang out with them for, for a couple of days. And that that kind of assumption was totally put aside for me because while most of their prayer uh, day was prayer and silence, um, they were praying for like the young people of the world and for their vocation and they were praying for peace and for governments and it really shifted the way I, that I kind of understood their role really in like wow they're keeping the world <laughs> like they're kind of praying for all the goings on and I was so grateful to have that kind of assumption challenged with um, wow there are people praying for me I don't even know most of the day which is a which is work <laughs> so, yes yeah yeah and the fact that you know even though we're living in a monastery we do know what's going on in the world and we're involved in it in, in some way at least in our prayers and, and yeah. often more than that 
Mm, thanks. Well, Father Leo, one of the things that we do early on in um, our time with someone who's not part of our community is to invite them to give us a word that starts with the letters R-E or a re-word as an invitation um, for the kind of posture we should have um, in having this discussion. And so I'm curious, as, uh, as we head into the topic of simplicity, do you have a, a re-word that you would give us? Rejoice is the word that comes to mind. And the reason I offer that is because in my own experience, when I've stepped back or entered into a life of simplicity, I find that there are many simple joys that begin to arise in the day-to-day when we slow down and begin to become aware of what we're actually doing in the present, the, the joy of uh, being with someone or of seeing a beautiful sunset or the simple and delightful uh, taste of, of something that we're eating, uh, really causes the soul to expand and for, for our hearts to rejoice. When you were talking about the uh, three vows of the Benedictine rule, um, and, and particularly the fidelity to the monastic way of life, I think that kind of is a great jumping off point for the idea around um, talking about simplicity and the value of simplicity. Um, would you describe simplicity as something that fits into one of the core values of the monastic way of life? It, it certainly from an outside uh, perspective, it, I perceive that there's some simplicity around having some of the decisions that might uh, have a, a variety of options being kind of limited to a rhythm that you expect every day. I'd love to hear how um, the way that you're living, you might connect with simplicity? I would say simplicity is foundational to the monastic way of life. And simplicity in various ways. I think primarily it's that simplicity of of vision, of being centered on Christ. And maybe I kind of launch off in, in a different tact to speak of it. For us, uh, as monks, we, we see life in a very incarnational way. So Christ, the true God, took on flesh and became true man so that every aspect of our life could be transformed and that we might be able to encounter Christ in, in area, every area of our life. So as, as we approach the day, and our tasks and activities and encounters with people uh, were called upon in faith to have that vision, kind of a sacramental vision that when I encounter someone or when I'm doing a simple work, even mopping the floor or working in the kitchen, I can be encountering Christ through that. And I think it's not just a vision that we put on of, okay, this is what I need to be thinking of, but it's a reality 
that I'm entering into. And when I'm living that deeply, then there's a simplicity of life that, that comes in. I have to use things and I need, I need clothes, I need the tools that I use, but it, it puts everything in the perspective of Christ and the value that it has is subordinated to him. And so I think that's an important way of um, seeing the simplicity that we have because it's not just a matter of, oh, our meals can't be, um, you know, ornate or, or can't have the fine wines at table or we can't buy the newest car with all the gadgets or I'm not going to get the latest iPhone or any iPhone that, that comes out. Um, but what's necessary for living and necessary to give glory to God? Yeah, I, it strikes me just uh, like to imagine what it's like to release any ownership of anything um, being a major shift, particularly when we're all aware of how the how consumerism has become probably the predominant idol for uh, North Americans. Um, was that a difficult decision for you early on to say, um, I'm relinquishing my right to ownership, or how did that strike you like was it something that you had to kind of die to or were you eager to say goodbye to that one well it's something that i think accompanies all of us to our dying day so when i when i entered the monastery at 19 i didn't see it as a big problem or a major struggle i was glad to uh, not have to worry about a lot of say the material needs and wants or um, what I was going to wear each day or that sort of thing. But being human nature being what it is, as we get accustomed to things, even very small items like a pen can take on um, say personal significance that I have to be willing to let go if I no longer need it or if someone else needs it more than I do. And I have to reflect and, and examine my life from time to time of whether I'm taking on things that I don't need and whether I need to let go of, of things in my life. Well, that sort of answers a question I had around whether... Um, the way of life in a, in a monastic way of life creates a simplicity where there would be less temptation to deviate away from it. You know, like I, you sometimes think if I could just um, remove all of the distractions in my life that are robbing me of simplicity, then I would finally be able to grab it, like trying to grab it sort of feels like you're trying to grab the pit of an avocado, like the harder you try to squeeze simplicity, it, it slips out of your hand. But um, I'm curious from your vantage point, because from our perspective, you've limited some of the things that can be major hiccups or stumbling blocks, I guess you could say, as far as ownership of things or the ways that you're participating in different communities, kind of having a level of obedience in that vow of having someone who's giving direction to that. Do you find, and I guess it's answering from your perspective, but 
do you think that it's easier to maintain an attitude that embraces that simplicity because of having less distractions, kind of some of those things are already answered? Or is it something that just no matter how you slice it, it continues to kind of grab hold of that of our flesh or that human nature? I think it is easier in the monastic setting because we've intentionally limited or uh, eliminated some aspects of of life so you know i don't have to uh how to say it with regards to say technology i've never owned a cell phone in my life because when i entered uh, the monastery in 2003 while the smartphones didn't existed there were cell phones but i didn't need to have one at that time so i didn't uh, but my, our students here uh most of them have phones and the families our employees do and working in the local churches uh, just connecting with people i'm aware of the pull that technology has and in our working with the students that's one thing that we have to work with them on of that responsible and intelligent use of, of technology. In the monastery, we have two uh, smartphones for the, the needs of the community. Uh, one for the superior, because he needs it regularly, and one other one for when it's necessary, say for a trip or, or for something. So in that aspect, it is easier, but we're still using technology right now. I'm, in a Zoom session with you and uh, with COVID uh, in the spring, we were teaching online. And so I was on the computer pretty well all day long. Uh, so there is an intentionality that I have to continually renew as well. You know, we talk in our family often about like the use of screen time with our kids and how uh, I think every parent that I know um, wrestles with how to manage that. And we talk about FOMO or the fear of missing out. And now there's sort of a new trend toward JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. And like people unplugging for the weekend or for longer periods of time. Do you, do you ever feel like you're missing something? Like I, I kind of, I, I kind of feel like there's something beautiful about not having that phone stuck to your, hand all day do you do you feel the opposite way ever where you're like man i wish i could get one of those games the kids love so much on their phones and like binge binge one of those games all day like is there ever something that comes up and says there's there's something on the other side that i'm i'm really giving up here or are you able to see it for what it is for myself i have to say i, I don't m miss it or feel like i'm missing <laughs> out yeah i'm quite relieved not to, to have to. And working with the with our students, you know, I have to be uh, kind of in the know, have my finger in the culture. Uh, but I'm glad to be able to have those limits uh, that kind of put a safeguard that they don't become an overwhelming distraction or, or something that in a sense becomes an idol.
I'm Jessica Steffig here with Greg Elford, and today the Re podcast is talking together with our friend, Father Leo Barker, a Benedictine monk who lives at the Westminster Abbey here in Mission. So, Father Leo, moving into a little bit of what simplicity really is, I'm interested to know how you would define it or describe it. Is it a fruit of the spirit, a posture, a discipline? For you, it's kind of part of your vows, but what would you really describe simplicity as? I don't know if I could give um, a clear definition. I think simplicity becomes an underlying way of life or disposition it's it's certainly a value i would say uh, that we have to be intentional in taking on and entering into but if we enter in intentionally it slowly becomes a lifestyle not one that we never have to think about again but definitely it's helps to how to say it, it becomes part of the background a way that we become aware of simplicity it's an example of someone that's gone to the developing world on a missionary experience and that say has lived in peru for for a year or has gone to cameroon for an extended period and then they come back to canada and they feel like a fish out of water the cultural expectations are no longer shared by the person because of his or her experiences. Um, the push to have the latest and the greatest isn't there anymore. And I think that's an aspect of simplicity that if we're living it, we'll eventually find ourselves in that position. Why would you, or I guess maybe do you, think that simplicity is part of the gospel why is that something that we uh jesus following folk need to be aware of i I think first of all jesus has called us as disciples to a life of simplicity in the beatitudes he says blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see god and that purity of heart isn't just in regards to our sexuality, but it's also um, that being centered upon God fundamentally in every aspect of our our life. Uh, We have those challenging parables of, uh, for instance, the, the man who had the great harvest and he built up a bigger barn and Jesus says to him, you fool, this night your life will be required of you. Uh, the call of the rich young man to sell his goods and to follow Christ. Not everyone's called to sell all of their possessions, but in being a disciple, we're called to have a detachment in some way from the the things of this world that we're using. It's not that they're evil or bad necessarily, but that if they get in the way of our life with Christ, then they're an obstacle. I'm just kind of thinking um, as far as simplicity as a, a lived out kind of lifestyle practice value as you were talking, can we ever oversimplify things? 
um, I'm just thinking about like beauty and how beauty and art has been a big part of my uh, theology and, and connection with God. To me, like to simplify everything feels like I would be losing sometimes some of the expressive creativeness that I love engaging with as part of my relationship with God. So can we ever oversimplify things or is that maybe missing the point of simplicity? No, I, I think we definitely can oversimplify. Well, you mentioned beauty and I think that's a key aspect. Um, God has given us the good things of this earth and, and beautiful things and we would be mistaken as his disciples to think that we have to throw all of that out. Uh, but in fact, we can have beautiful things, whether it be through music or through uh, beautiful artwork or uh, literature that can glorify him or raise up our hearts. I mean, there's a legitimate joy that we can take in, in the beauty of of this life or in in good food as it were in the monastery we have you know the kitchen and we have some lay staff but also monks and we recently sent off two of our brothers to take training at a local trade school so that they can come back and work uh, in the kitchen and it's been a discernment for them and and there's been friction at times of how to take what they've learned in, in their courses and adapt it to the monastic setting. Because our day-to-day -day meals are relatively simple or maybe sometimes a little bit plain uh, from especially the, how they've received their training. But we do have more festive meals. Uh, say Christmas is coming up or for big feast days or days of celebration then those are days uh, where, yeah, the, the better foods come out, occasionally the wine. Uh, and it's, I don't think that's alien to a life of simplicity. One of the things that we were talking about in getting ready for this day was how Jesus uh, talks about seeking first the kingdom and then having all these things added unto you. And it, it seems like there's kind of an... Um, uh, indirect call to simplicity there. Um, certainly as Christmas is approaching and uh, the shop, well, Black Friday, which, you know, seems to be just as Canadian now, ironically, as it is uh, in, in our brothers and sisters' culture to the South, um, there's this huge swell of kind of um, uh, temptation away from simplicity, kind of as a parent wanting to provide something for your kids that they're really, that's really going to make them smile on Christmas morning, or even just to be caught up in the allure of new technology, like you mentioned, or um, a better version of something that you have that probably works just fine, but could work a little bit better. And so I'm, I'm curious as we think about um, the season that's coming how do you think the incarnation story specifically uh, makes this point that simplicity is something that um, that Jesus brought as a gift in his way of life and the way we watched him interact with the world? Maybe I would say a little bit about the season of Advent as 
uh, as Catholics as we experience it. The season of Advent, of course, is a preparation time for Christmas, the coming of, of Christ and, and the baby Jesus and the poverty of um, the manger and being surrounded by the animals and, and all the kind of quaint imagery that we can have of, of that reality that, that happened with Christ. But also with Advent, we have uh, a looking towards his final coming, his return, uh, and the aspect of the reality that we're all going to pass from this life, that we will die, and that that puts our own lives in this world uh, in perspective to that. And with that reality that we will pass away, uh, the material things kind of take a, a lesser role. And if I could offer any suggestions for families, for individuals, it would be maybe to find ways to have the opening of presents uh, at a slightly different time. Or I know some families that on December 6th, that's the day that they open up gifts because in our liturgical calendar, that's the feast of St. Nicholas, the forerunner of Santa Claus. Uh, mm -hmm. For other families, you know, they would open it to the gifts on Christmas morning, uh, but Christmas Eve would be a time for going to church and a time for, for family. Uh, those are kind of intentional ways that we can shift the perspective. Um, in my own family, as I was growing up, we quite naturally, in some ways, shifted it from the giving of actual gifts, which were still there, but uh, more to a sharing of time together. So for my birthday, while I would get some gifts, uh, I began to uh, have the option of um, how we were going to spend the day, say, to go to uh, a particular place as a family. And so the, the focus wasn't as much on, say, me and, and the things that I'm, I should be given, but on the joy of being together. I appreciate that. And I think about one of the ways that we try to teach our kids uh, is often that it's better to give than to receive. And it, I guess it kind of brings up a question for me. Um, when you're living in uh, the monastic life, do you feel like you have opportunity to give, um, say, in, that, in an intentional way, like seasonally, um, and how, like, because we're exploring as a community how to live into giving each other things intentionally in a way that's different from the narrative of our culture. I'm just curious, is there an exchange of intentional gift that happens in your context or, say, with your family in Washington State? Um, or do you look at it in a completely different way? Well, in the monastery, we don't give gifts, there's no stockings like on Christmas Eve. No stockings, no chance <laughs> to get coal in my shoes. 
No, no cookies left out on the uh, mantle or anything. No cookies for Santa Claus. <laughs> no, we're no, not so generous. We keep the fire stoked in the, in the fireplace, <laughs> just in case he wants to visit. I get it. Okay, that's, that's yeah. right. but we do uh, set up decorations and, and put up the lights and the Christmas trees. And um, for us, we don't start that until around December twenty third. So there's this mad flurry of activity as we <laughs> put up the trees put up the crushes it's uh, lights everywhere so there's a festiveness to it and i say one way that that sharing of gifts happens um, a couple of days after christmas in our community we have a, a buffet supper together in our recreation room so it's it's in a different place and kind of a, a different setting and uh, we're together and after that meal we have a talent show and, awesome. and so some would put on little skits some would read poetry or have a particular uh, thing that they would show um, on the computer or uh, there would be quite a bit of singing so we sing carols together but also a group of the younger monks prepares polyphony songs, so pieces with multiple voices, and they start practicing in September uh, to have half a dozen or so selections wow. that that they can sing, uh, both in the community and then before our our midnight mass uh, to offer it to people who come. But that's a just a sharing of of gifts and of of our time and and. A lifting of the beauty and, and the soul. Now, um, are there VIP backstage passes to this talent show? Say someone wanted to come and, and visit? Unfortunately, <laughs> you, know, you, would, you would stand out like a sore thumb without the religious habit. I think Jess especially, yeah. Yes. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> you know, I really love that idea of sharing gifts as in like, uh, the gifts that God has given us, whether that's singing or uh, writing or whatever. I love that idea that we can celebrate each other and share that with each other. And that is just as much of a gift as like a present. And the uh, the way of being able to rejoice in one another's gifts instead of being jealous. Oh, he sings better than me or, or she has such good acting skills. No, to be able to say no, that, these are gifts that are being offered for for others. Have you ever gotten a really good gift, or is that kind of the is that sort of in the vein of not having ownership of gifts, like you experience them, but you don't own them? So, like, I'm curious. Do you feel like it's been a long time since I've received a gift because it's kind of outside of how I interact with things? I'm curious how you think about that. It wouldn't be true for me to say that I haven't received gifts because a significant points in my monastic life, uh, I have been given gifts. But in our Benedictine way of life, uh, we take those gifts and we bring them to the superior, to the abbot, and uh, he might allow us to keep them if if he sees there's a need or um, some value in that, or he has the 
the possibility of giving it to another monk who needs it or to give it away for charity. So I, I have received gifts and I, I do have uh, things that I've been allowed to, to keep, um, but always with that knowledge that no, I may have to pass this on and that that would be okay. Wow. I feel like that's a great posture to take on as anyone receiving a gift, that willingness to uh, like be okay with giving it away if God asked. I feel like, um, yeah, I want to take that. <laughs> I want to take on that posture. Um, well, just to kind of kind of close off and apply what we've been talking about today, Father Leo, I'm wondering, is there any kind of arrival at simplicity, would you say? Is there some kind of marker or or some kind of tell of, of arriving at this posture, this practice of, of simplicity, or is it just, just a process? What would you say to that? I would say offhand uh, that, yes, it's a posture. I think it's one of those things that it's, in the moment, we might not realize whether whether we've adopted or to the extent that we've adopted a, a, a vision or a life of simplicity. But it's when we look back or when we end up in a different setting or different situation that uh, we become aware of how we've grown or how we've changed. Awesome. Um, and my final question for you today then is if, if you were going to write a book on simplicity or a lifestyle that uh, is simplified, what would be the thesis or what would be the takeaway points that people could really grab onto and kind of apply to the way they practice both their faith and just their life in general? Mm, I, yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> I would say probably one of the things that I focus on with our students uh, when I'm working with them as a formator um, would be like what what do you want to have as a value for you? Like how do you want to live and how do you want to die? And with that perspective, uh, yeah, relationships fall into place or, or we realize the work that we need to do in our relationships and things just lose their, some of their, their glitter and their, their pull. I don't consider it a, a sad topic, but it, it is a downer for some people, but in our community, uh, we have, we've had older monks through my whole time. And so we've experienced quite a few funerals. And this morning, one of our monks passed away. Um, he, he wasn't old, he was only 59, um, but he had had a surgery in July and it didn't go well. And so we were able to bring him home and and take care of him uh, from August until today. And we knew that he was dying. We've been keeping watch with him since Friday. 
Um, but that reality of keeping death daily before your eyes helps to put things in perspective. And I really think that if we had that perspective, then we would live life differently. And we would find a, a joy that's deep and lasting and that will go beyond this life. I'm really sorry to hear that, uh, but also grateful that this this man is with Jesus. Yeah, and I, if I can say, like, our, our funerals uh, normally are, are days of great celebration. And we, we do pray for the monk who passes away, but, but also it's this time of rejoicing of our trust in the resurrection and in Christ and that our relationship with him is what will last beyond. And so the relationships we have now is so important that we build them in the light of Christ. Father Leo, I think we were together on a day where another monk had passed a few years ago. Um, and I think you were explaining to me uh, that the, the, you hand dug, that several of you hand dug a hole and um, kind of had that visceral experience of uh, putting a body into the ground and returning the body to the ground. Is that something that, that you're anticipating in your next few days? Is that, is that what's about to happen in your community? Yeah, we'll be digging the grave uh, this weekend or this next week, and we typically dig it by hand. The coffin has already been underway that we make the coffin ourselves in our carpentry shop. And all of those things, again, it's the giving of, of gifts. And to be able to um, communicate our love for our brother that we've spent these years living with, walking with, sometimes being in disagreements with, but working it through, um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a work of mercy that we're able to, to give and to realize through that the gifts that, that, we've re that we are receiving in the midst of it. Well, we want to bless you as much as that's appropriate on that work of mercy and um, hope that that is a rich time for you and, and know that it will be. So thank you for sharing that, uh, that particular piece with us. Really appreciate that. Well, we want to thank you so much, Father Leo, for being here with us today. I'm thinking back to the reword that you started us with around rejoicing, and I certainly feel like the conversation with you has been an invitation to a soul-expanding work. And so we want to, want to thank you and um, articulate that you have given us a gift today, and we really appreciate that. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to Father Leo Barker for bringing his personal reflections and expertise to the table. Thank you to our silent sponsor and our very supportive church community, New Heights Church, and of course, young Obi Elford for putting together the music that backs our voices. Join us again in two weeks when the Repodcast invites friends from the New Heights community to reflect on and interact with how the topic of simplicity touches down in their own lives. This has been episode five of the Re-Podcast, the prefix that hopes for more 
than we had before.